Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Kasperson. Well, thank you everyone for coming to Alex and I's first virtual community event kickoff. Super exciting. Once again, I'm Nicole Kasperson, and we're just kind of going to dive in. I want to first thank our sponsor, Crow, for their support in making today possible. It always feels so like interesting to just get together as a community no matter what, even if it's just through a virtual Zoom. So happy to be together either way. And to start, I want to introduce Alex Johnson, who is the founder and author, creator of FinTech Takes. And instead of just reading his bio, I do want to share kind of a story of how I got to know Alex. To start, I had left my job as a reporter at Investment News. And the next day, I saw that there was a conference called Empire Startups. And I knew I was going to be working with Alex Johnson in the future as I created FinTech is Femme. I just didn't know how we would merge yet. So I went and I really wanted to get to know Alex. And so I saw he was speaking at this event, never been in my life. I go and I watch him do like one of his talks. And I just remember being kind of intimidated at first because he's been in the industry for so long. And, you know, I've been here for like five years and he's got like a bit longer on me than that. (laughs) But I didn't know what to expect when I met him off the stage. He blew me away on stage. And then when I got to talking with him, you know, despite our completely different backgrounds, despite us coming from completely different places, we were so aligned in our thoughts about the fintech community and its, you know, mission and its ability to really create a more equitable world for everyone. And that kind of proved to me just how no matter like the walks of life that we go through, we're all so much more connected than we think. And I think that's kind of what Alex showed me right away about the fintech world. And thus, we are here today. But yeah, yeah. Um, So by way of introduction for any of you who don't know Nicole, and I'm sure you all already do know Nicole, but um, she uh, was one of the launch creators for Workweek, right? So part of our initial set of creators and uh, Fintech is Femme, which is the newsletter and podcast that Nicole does, is incredible. Uh, If you've ever been to one of the Fintech is Femme events, they're an entirely different level. But Nicole, just thank you so much for that introduction. And so thrilled to share the stage with you and to be building this community with you at Workweek. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, Alex has also done a lot of things aside from intimidate me on stage, but then also make me feel like his friend. Um, He has done things like worked for 15 plus years in marketing, business development, market research roles at FICO, Cornerstone Advisors, Mercator, Advisory. Mercator, yes. Mercator. Mercator. Oh my gosh. Thank you for that. His analysis has been featured in places like Business Insider, The Wall Street Journal, NBC Nightly News, Fintech is Femme, you know, so a trusted source for all things Fintech. Well, thank you very much. And um, I won't read Nicole's entire bio, but again, you all know her, um, you know, over 50,000 professionals subscribe to her newsletter, listen to her podcast, go to her events. Before joining Workweek, she was the deputy editor of Auto Finance News and reported on housing and mortgages as the uh, associate editor at DS News and M Report. So Nicole has a actually very long history of doing great reporting in the space. And again, so thankful to be able to share the stage with you. So should we get into some real talk? Yeah, let's get into some real talk. I love that we get to say that now. Um, so as we know, and I'm sure everyone here realizes creating a fintech industry that is inclusive, profitable, people-centric, all of the things that we want it to be is incredibly difficult. And it does start with transparency. Someone I interviewed recently said it best. um, If we keep working in our silos, then we're never going to reach the top. But if we come together and collaborate, then we get there so much faster. And that's the point of Real Talk. It's really a safe space. It's a place for us to be able to come together to have real conversations about, you know, what are the pitfalls? What are the struggles? What do we need? What does this community need? that we can help provide Alex and I and our community to help you progress forward as fintech professionals, whether it's growth for yourself or growth for your business. So that for me is really the most important. I want us to do yes in real life events together um, that help with those growth mindsets and profitability, but also just to actually have these conversations. Throughout our talk, feel free to 
jump in with, you know, questions in the chats. You know, if you want to raise your hand, let's keep this like engaging and communal. That's the entire point. You don't just have to listen to me and Alex talk the whole time. And that's kind of in essence what this is. Towards the end, we're going to share, you know, a way for this to move forward. We don't just want these to be talks and then nothing happens, right? That tends to feel how it is when you go to like an event sometimes, but we want this to always be moving forward. And also to, by making it, you know, a kind of, um, you know, a very inclusive, but like top tier community, people that are really bought into wanting to be a part of this, we keep it incredibly resourceful and the best that it can be. So yeah, that is the idea. Would you like to add anything? Did I miss anything there, Alex? No, I think that's right. I mean, so we're going to be launching a specific sort of digital community for everyone in fintech, as Nicole just said. The focus is real talk, and we'll share a little bit more details about the community itself and how to get involved with it at the end of this session. But yeah, I mean, it's it's exactly what you just said. We want to create a a space for those conversations, right? I mean, I think that one thing I've noticed in fintech is that there are a lot of things that we think that we don't say. And there are, I think, valid reasons for that, right? It's not always appropriate to say the things that we're thinking. Sometimes it's just not the right venue. And even like live in-person events don't always work well for that. And so our goal is to be very thoughtful in curating like very small groups where you could feel very safe to talk about things that are relevant to your role, that are relevant to your background, your experiences in the industry, and your goals for where you want to go. So this event is going to be somewhat of a practice session for Nicole and I to help sort of foster that community and have some of these conversations. So we're going to try to model that a little bit uh, for all of you while we kind of go through the rest of the session. And then we'll share more details at the end on the community itself and how you can get involved. Right. And like for me, like some quick real talk right at the top is like, I know as I've immersed myself in this fintech world, there's tons of community elements here, right? There's, you know, so many different events going on all the time. There's so much happening all the time. And there's also, you know, Slack channels, right? There's Slack channels where some people are in them, some people aren't. I know that there is, you know, we have like a fintech girl gang chat, which is incredible, but it's, you know, kind of a constant flowing place where, you know, we're... us women in fintech are sharing resources and job postings and, hey, I need an investor or this or a pitch deck for that. And it's and we want to keep that going, but we want to like bring it together. We want to make it incredibly and organize. You know, I want this to be a place where every day you're logging on and saying, okay, like this is the next thing. This is what's happening. Like this is I can have a true organized view of, you know, what friends of mine or someone I want to know is speaking at this event. You know, they're working on this project. They're doing this. That's the whole idea. So anyways, should we kick off the discussion? Organizes music to my ears. I agree. Anyways, should we kick off kind of the first spicy topic that we are interested in? Yeah. So basically what Nicole and I did was we went through and sort of collected some of our own sort of topics that we think need to be talked about more in fintech. So we're going to run through a couple of those and just kind of bounce those topics around. And then we also did ask for a lot of uh, input from the community as well. And so we have a bunch of questions that were shared with us through our newsletters or uh, through social channels. And so we're going to try to answer a bunch of those in a little bit more of a rapid fire at the end. And that's also where we want to try to weave in as many of all of your questions live as we can. So um, please do submit those in the chat as we go. But yeah, let's get into the first one. So my topic that I wanted to talk about is, um, you know, should or shouldn't we be writing B2C fintech? So business to consumer fintech, consumer facing fintech, should we be writing it off for dead? And, um, you know, Nicole, I think the question I have for you is that I feel like there's this sense in the fintech ecosystem, and it'll probably be borne out in the numbers uh, once we have sort of Q1 2023 data on VC investments in fintech, that um, investors have sort of moved on from consumer-facing fintech companies. And obviously, the environment that we're in right now and rising interest rates uh, make it a challenging environment to build that business. And I think that in a lot of ways, investors maybe are more comfortable these days with B2B fintech propositions or infrastructure, and obviously still investing in fintech, but have kind of cooled on consumer-facing fintech companies. So I'm curious, like, what do you think about that? Is B2C fintech dead? Should it be dead? What do you think? Is everyone served by financial services in the world? Have we accomplished it yet? (laughs) No, I don't think so. Did we do it? I I missed it. Then no, it's B2C fintech is not dead for that first big reason there. I think 
you know, I, I've been thinking about this topic a lot, especially this year with a lot of the doom and gloomy headlines around BC fintech. And I think in the US, fintech has, because we have a large banked population, fintech has focused on giving people more choices, which isn't wrong. That's just what has happened. So we focus more on like the bells and whistles, right? Lots of investing opportunities, lots of kind of fun ways to engage with your finances, which was necessary. But now, you know, we're getting to a place where has fintech actually solved the fundamental issues that Americans and people across the world have when it comes to understanding their finances, when it comes to understanding their financial personality or psychology or adding more like behavioral finance elements into fintech applications. That to me is kind of a huge missing piece. You have Plaid's 2022 fintech report that dropped just right not that long ago shared that almost 80% of fintech users want finance education from their apps. Like they want it from you. And if they're still looking... And guess what they want to learn about? They want... The first thing is they want to learn how to build an emergency savings fund, which the average American doesn't have $1,000 to put away for an emergency right now. They want to learn how to build a savings habit. So they want to learn from you, their fintech finance provider, how can you teach me how to be a saver and change my personality, right? And then the third thing they want to learn about is how to not accrue so much debt. They want to understand how to fix their debt, understand that entire process. None of those things had to do with investing. Investing is important, don't get me wrong. But those were the top three. I'm sure four or five, we start to land in investing world. But that, fifty, almost 50% of the population is Gen Z and millennials. Yep. Uh, Gen Z is a largely underserved community in the fintech space, but we're working on it. And there's still a billion women worldwide who do not have access to the financial system. So anyways, those are just some things that go through my mind when I think, is B2C FinTech dead? How could it possibly be if we haven't solved all these problems? Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's right. And I think your call out on the global nature of the problem is a really good one, right? Because um, we don't have a super high ratio of truly unbanked individuals in the US, right? Some are underbanked, uh, some are poorly banked a lot, you could argue are poorly banked, but very few are actually unbanked completely. Mm. But you're absolutely right. There are huge opportunities internationally. And you start to see this, right? I, I know of a number of different fintech VCs that have actually widened their aperture beyond. So they started in the US or North America, but they've actually gone well into other areas as well and um, other markets trying to basically sort of tap into this need where, you know, there are still huge segments of the population globally that you can lift out of being completely unbanked. And that's huge, right? And it's not just personal banking, it's small business banking, it's helping entrepreneurs in those countries start businesses and grow their economies. So I think that's a huge one. And then the other thing you touched on that I thought was really interesting was the creation of habits, right? And, and I, I think that's the thing maybe that we don't think about enough when we talk about B2C fintech is you know, your job is not to add more products to a customer's plate. Your job oh gosh, is to yes. help them, you know, create better habits, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and I think about this in terms of, like, for me personally, like flossing, going to the gym, taking the dog for a walk. Like, there are these things that I've had to cultivate as habits, some more successfully than others. My dog gets walks because he won't leave me alone unless I walk. <laughs> you know, the, you have to cultivate these habits that are not super fun and are kind of painful. There's a reason most people aren't in like peak physical condition, but you can help people break through some of those barriers and cultivate better habits. And, you know, if you can just save a little better or set a little bit more money aside for retirement, or to your point, like get a better handle on the debt that you owe, all of those things have compounding benefits, right? And I feel like the other thing we don't maybe appreciate about enough in B2C FinTech is we're playing a long game, right? Like you have to see these compounding benefits over time. So when we talk about, I think there was an article maybe last year that said, FinTech is a failure. So I think was like the title. And it basically was like, it was kind of a- I think I saw that one too, actually. Hold on. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it, it was like kind of intentionally provocative. It was just talking about like, oh, neobanks are not doing very well right now or whatever. But I think one thing we have to remember is neobanks and some of these sort of new digital services that are trying to sort of address some of these problems, they've only been around for five years, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And you don't see the compounding benefits of- interventions in consumers' lives and helping them build better habits 
for a while, right? It takes a while for that data to show up. And so I do think it's too early to judge. And I, I do hope that VCs do actually try to pour a little bit more money into that because it's a problem we still need to address. Yeah, 100%. I think that even like for and for our B2B fintech folks out there, you know, I would say that this does involve you too because the consumer facing fintech companies need you, right, at their best to be able to provide whatever tech that they need to be able to serve their consumer best, right? So that they can cuz I'm sure that, you know, some maybe some of the mentality here is like I want to focus on education and content and I want to focus on those things, but it's difficult, right? It's the long game. It is difficult to implement or it is hard to find the balance, right? Education can be... Or talking about behaviors for some people can feel not fun, right? It's not the shiny new thing. It's not... It's, sometimes it's not the sexiest thing. You know, we, we have people in the comments kind of saying like, is it... You know, being disciplined is a habit and that's not the most fun thing to talk about. But if we all were doing it more then maybe it would be more interesting to talk about. You know what I mean? Like if we just were actually putting it out there more. Also, discipline equals freedom, right? That's like, I can't remember who said this quote, but imagine like us providing that as an industry as well. I have personally have felt the difference in my, the way, and I won't, I guess I won't shout out any companies, but like the way my, the bank my parents made for me when I was with a traditional institution but when I was growing up, which bless them for that, and the way that I interact with my fintech application that I created as an adult, because it spoke to me more, it understood me more, and I just liked the experience better. And my relationship has changed drastically with money and how I understand it and how I understand my needs because of it. And I work in this you know, space. Imagine what we could do for people that don't even have the knowledge that we have. I totally agree. And I just two last points on this. This, this is obviously we Nicole and I can fill up. I know. <laughs> we'll move we'll, on, I swear. We won't get too stuck here. But I, I do think um, you know, your point about uh, discipline is a really good one. And I think Kate brought that up in the chat. But it's something where I think we need to be very sort of cognizant of the differences between financial services and other areas, right? Because in financial services, just to compare it to like physical fitness, I can sign up for the gym, the gym can stock all of the equipment, but like I actually have to go in there and like lift the weights with mm. my actual muscles to get the actual benefits of it. Financial services is interesting in that you want to cultivate better habits, you want to help people make better choices, but you can also automate a lot more of it, right? Like you can create tools that like will, and like Digit is an example of a fintech app I've loved for a long time they'll just squirrel away tiny bits of money out of your checking account without really telling you or like really like asking you for permission. And they basically have an algorithm that tries to keep you. So you have enough money in your checking account for the things you need, but like any of that excess money, just squirrel it away and put in savings. I would never do that. I don't have the discipline to like every day go in and go, oh, I can spare $13 today. I'm going to move it over into savings. We can automate that, right? Like we right. can actually automate portions of going to the gym and lifting weights or running on the treadmill and I think that's something that makes financial services fundamentally different than some of these other industries where we have these same behavioral-based challenges. And then the other thing I'll just say real quick is, I think John mentioned in the chat that understanding your own behavior is like kind of oh. where all this has to start. And I totally agree with that. I mean, one of the, the concepts I've sort of landed on recently in thinking about this is um, people have different relationships with money, right? In terms of like, how they use money, how money makes them happy, how money makes them miserable, how their parents taught them about money, how they saw their parents fight about money, right? Yeah. Like all of these things, a lot of them sort of subconscious, I think, about our relationship with money. And, you know, we have like money therapists now, right? Like that's a job and a profession. And yet you don't see a lot of that getting built into apps to help, you know, consumers become more like introspective about their relationship with money and sort of understanding their own behaviors and why they do the things they do. So I think there's a ton of unexplored. Oh, so true. Options. Yeah. Well, and I think we're starting to see the integration more at the wealth management level. So like the financial advice space is really looking to bring more behavioral finance elements into that so that wealth managers and financial advisors and financial planners can speak to their clients. And that's great, you know, but and so we need the trickle effect. If it's going to happen in the wealth tech space, then we need to bring it fully into our space as well. And it's like, how are we going to maybe make those bridges? Because it shouldn't just be for people that 
can, you know, have a financial advisor and that's getting more and more accessible and democratized and they're trying. That's your point, right? Of when you were saying, what are the top things that people are like wanting to solve with fintech and investing wasn't in the top? Investing is like a later problem, right? Like investing is a problem to have. Like I have enough money and I feel like I need to do something with my money to generate more wealth. Like that's great. And we need to build products for that segment, but that's a really good problem to have. To your point though, I think you absolutely have to have that financial advisor, I'm going to help you map out a strategy that like thinking and product design needs to trickle down out of wealth and investing because you need that same type of like help in savings and in debt management, all these other things. So I think that's a great call out that like, we've traditionally kept all of that white glove, sort of emotional support type stuff in wealth and investing. And we haven't Mm -hmm. had banking, savings, debt management, lending, these other areas where Really, that's where the mass market is today. Right. Well, and what an opportunity as well for, you know, the the fintech that is kind of building that out properly to also end up working with the more traditional institutions, right? Like that's the relationship there, right? The banks are they don't have a lot of incentive to actually like make any of this happen, but they will look to right a, a fintech company that has done it well enough to either partner, integrate, whatever, buy them out, whatever right. it is. So. Right. I mean, that's huge. And I like this comment here, actually, that the main industry that kind of needs help is like bringing in the psychotherapy, self-help, almost career coaching, more of the wellness industry into the fintech space. I agree with this comment. I think that there is a value add there. It's something I personally am trying to do more, even just with the fintech is femme, like women in fintech community. I want to host as much as I love happy hours. I love hanging out with y'all and drinking. Don't get... Shaday, don't get me wrong. I'll drink as many espresso martinis with you as I can. But would I love to like bring the women in fintech community together and all everyone, right? To actually have like growth mindset workshops, you know, like to actually like bring the wellness industry into our community so that we're also growing our industry too. I could imagine that I don't know what that looks like, to be honest. I mean, I do for my community, but for like a fintech app, I don't know what that looks like exactly. But Well, no. So, I mean, you touched on one other thing and we keep going down rabbit holes on this. I know. Okay, we're going to move on, I swear. No, no, no. It's. I think it's awesome. Um, The phrase you said that I want to like just harp on is the career coaching one is huge, right? Like a thing I've thought about for a long time with B2C fintech apps is, okay, you're going to help me manage my money you're going to help me save my money. You're going to help me better like budget and allocate where I spend my money. My actual problem, and I've seen consumers say this in surveys, by the way, they're like, this is all great, but my biggest problem is I don't have enough money, right? And the, there's a limit to what I can do in terms of budgeting and saving and being more disciplined if I just don't have that much money, right? And so it's kind of bizarre if you think about it, that like bank accounts and even most like B2C fintech apps they don't really help consumers make more money. And I do think that's a really interesting sort of growth area for fintech is whether it's career coaching, or I know there's apps like Steady that will help um, you sort of line up different like gig work and sort of get new jobs and bring in more income. But I think there's a huge, huge amount of growth in that space of long-term, how can I help this person make more money? And oh, by the way, if I'm the bank or fintech company that does that, the more money they have, the more of that money is in my account and that I can use and make money from. So like, it's a win-win. We should be helping customers make more money. And again, outside of like wealth management, we don't do that very well. Right. I. It's so funny because I think people, especially with like my content, I talk so much about the people element and like what we're talking about now that there tends to be like this mindset as if, okay, well, if we're focusing on helping people, then like the path to profitability isn't there. And it's like, we have to get out of that mindset. Those are not binary pathways. It is You can do both. Will the long game be the answer to that? Will it be maybe a three-year out or five-year out situation? But it's going to be worth it. I'm not going to lie. Like I've seen... I got to see like exactly how a company like Nasdaq works with a fintech company to help get them to IPO status and like one that is very mission driven. And it's, you know, and this is just an example, but I got to see how they're thinking long game. You know, they're like the path in IPO is 10 years out and they're like meeting with them now. You know, it's like that's the where we should kind of be at and thinking about how we integrate these things and how we do it properly and how you get to know 
the community and what they need and the people that you're serving and what they want. And then understand that it's that whole, it's a different pathway to profitability and no single way of doing it is is right. So you have to find the way that's best for you and your company. I feel like I saw another comment in here that was... We're talking about snowball wealth a lot. I was just looking at some... Oh, yeah. This one. It was the most... Americans also live paycheck to paycheck comment. That That's what stood out to me. That's a great one. And, and just to, yeah. to go off on that for a second, and then we will switch gears. I'll, I will make us switch gears. Um, we <laughs> really, Nicole has her own sort of whole area that we want to jump into. It's so important to spend time on. But on the paycheck to paycheck thing, one thing that's really interesting about that is when you study the population of consumers that live paycheck to paycheck, quote unquote, there's actually two different populations hiding within there, right? There are consumers that make, let's just say, $150,000 or more a year that live paycheck to paycheck. And you'd be surprised by the number of consumers and households that have incomes in the 100, 150, 200, 250 a year range that live paycheck to paycheck, right? That's a spending problem. Right. That's pretty clearly a spending problem. And there are, I think, a lot of specific interventions and tools that you can build for those consumers that help them address spending, that help them with budgeting, that help them with better allocation. And then suddenly they will have freed up a large portion of their cash flow. And then you're talking to them about savings, investing, doing all kinds of other stuff. That's like one population. So when we say, you know, Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, there's that group. Probably you're not crying a lot of tears for them, but like there is a market there and you can help those consumers. The other group, though, is people who live paycheck to paycheck on low incomes, right? And that's a totally different population. And what's interesting there is there's actually a distinction. Not everyone who has a household income of less than $100,000 or less than $75,000 or less than $50,000, they're not all reporting that they live paycheck to paycheck. Some manage to kind of just stay right under that and continue to squirrel a little way and save. But fundamentally, that's a income problem. And so then you're focused on how can we help them get more income? How can we help them build wealth? So I don't know, when I hear people say um, paycheck to paycheck, I always sort of go off on that because it's like, you can't just say paycheck to paycheck. Right. You have to realize the problems sort of underneath that. So anyway, right. um, should we jump to... Uh, you have a report that you're working on that we yes. should... Yes, I'm working on a few reports actually right now. But the one that we're going to talk about today is my DEI transparency report. And I like to think of it really more of just transparency period report. But basically what I'm doing is I am talking to uh, a handful of fintech companies that are heavily focused on um, building for financial inclusion. And I'm having them, one, share with me the gender and diversity breakdown of their executive team and their employee base. And I'm not doing this because I'm trying to be like, oh my God, we're so bad. Okay, we already know we're behind and that's okay. It's just, but what we need to do is one, we understand that we're behind, but how do we set a benchmark for kind of the companies that are really hyper focused on this? Where are they at? Because they're not perfect either. So if we just set a benchmark to see where we're at, then we can understand where we need to go. And that's what I mean by transparency. Like, I want us to be able to see what are the best companies doing this? What are their best actions for other companies? And they're not all. B2C, you know, companies I'm highlighting, for example, Alloy is one of them. I just met with their, you know, new uh, head of people. She's awesome. And, you know, was sharing all these different, you know, B2B elements and how she, they think about it over at Alloy. Um, I'm talking to companies like Tala, you know, more consumer facing, but like I said, financial inclusion worldwide. I got to meet with human. Today is so right. Okay, good. I'm still doing interviews, by the way. So if people are interested, I can always give you information if you want to be uh, featured in the report. And that's kind of the whole mission. I want it to be, this is where we're at. Here are the companies that you can look at. Here's the action items that they have for you. You know, here is the secret sauce. Like this is what they're doing day in and day out to uh, help our industry be more diverse and inherently more innovative so that we can increase those pathways to profitability. And then the third thing is really came about from the number of DMs and messages that I get largely on social media from what I call the uh, my fintech curious or enthusiast crowd. And they're very, very interested in... you know They see like our content. They say, Hey, Nicole, I love fintech now. Like I want to know this industry more, but I don't know where to start. I don't know what companies to look at. I don't even know what I want to do yet. You know, is there anything you can share with me to give me a sense? But I like the mission. Like I want to be on the mission of inclusivity. 
And the, so this is like the perfect report for me to just be like, here you go. Like, li- here are 10 you know, to 12, whatever, fintech companies that are doing what is aligned with my values. And this is how they're doing it. And there's B2C, there's B2B, there's fraud, there's you know this or that. And so this is where they're at. This is their values. This is how their practice goes. You know, here's where to start. So that's kind of the whole elements of it all. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So <laughs> I can't wait to read that report. And I, I love the focus on setting a benchmark for it. One thing you just mentioned that I thought was really interesting that I'd love to get your perspective on is people who want to work in fintech because they like the mission and want to make an impact, right? And I I remember speaking to a, a woman who was looking for a new opportunity in fintech and she was like a superstar, right? I mean, she had like a great resume. She would have been able, I think, to get a job literally like anywhere, like the skill set and the work that she had been doing was just a perfect fit for basically any like growth stage company. So when I saw her resume, I was like, oh man, we could go here, we could go here, we could go here. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she very specifically said, she's like, you know, I only want to work for a company that is making a huge positive impact and truly is like mission focused. And I kind of Mm -hmm. poked at that a little bit. I was like, so what do you mean when mission focused? Because as you know, Nicole, like every company you talk to is mission focused. (laughs) Like I've never met a company that's like, no, we don't, our our mission is just making money. Like that's, I mean, like, I guess Goldman Sachs maybe is. Some do that. Some do that and Uh, people uh, like it, you know, whatever. Yeah. But like within the fintech space, it's like everyone has a mission. Everyone's mission oriented. And she was very thoughtful and actually pushed back a lot about like, yeah, that's not really true though, right? And there are plenty of great fintech companies that I think she could have worked for that are really great companies that are doing interesting work, but she kind of crossed them off her list and went like, yeah, no, not that one, not that one, you know, not this one. And and she ended up with a short list of ones that were interesting, very early stage, very, very mission focused, not actually what I would qualify as the most promising, right? Like if you were trying to optimize in terms of like, okay, I'm going to get restricted stock units with this company because it's early stage and that's a big part of my compensation. What are the odds I can retire 10 years from now as a multimillionaire? None of the companies <laughs> on her list were ones I would put relatively high in that regard, right? Yeah. But she, and she knew that and she specifically said, that's not the point. Like, I want to spend my time working on meaningful problems. And she was really, really thoughtful about that. So I'm so intrigued by the idea of being able mm. to have a benchmark that helps steer those kind of people who I think are the exact people that every fintech company wants in the right places. And I, I guess I'm I'm curious for your perspective on that. Like, do you see this huge sort of unmet demand almost for like, I want to work in fintech, I want to make a difference, but I kind of don't know where to go? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just, you know, my DMs. Um, it's the new generation, right? You know, I was I was in Florida at the top of this week at a wealth tech conference um, hosted by a big wealth tech company called Orion. And I'm on this panel and, you know, with these titans in the industry, just so well respected. So and one of them told me how his son just turned down a internship with Goldman Sachs. And like the audience is like, oh. and, <laughs> and, you know, he's like, as a dad, I, of course, I couldn't fathom doing that in, back when I was his age. But now, like, he's like, sorry, dad, like, and think, think about saying this to your dad. He's like a big finance guy, too. Oh and he's God. just like, sorry, dad, this doesn't like it just doesn't align with what I think I want to do for the rest of my life and my values. I would rather like I just want to work somewhere that is more aligned with me. And that's it. Like, you want to attract talent then and that's what they're looking for. Gen Z is the most diverse generation. Almost 50% are reporting that they are non-white. And guess what? They care about the most. They care about their life path, (laughs) their diversity, and if your company aligns with their values the most. After that, it's like technology. But those are the top three, again. So, And how interesting is it that none of those things have to do with necessarily like your company's like qualifications. I know that that's also important, but I'm just saying those are the top three things that they're thinking of first before they decide, right? That's how a kid decides, I don't want to go to Goldman Sachs, despite the fact that if you interned there, it would open so many doors for him. He's more willing to do it the way that will resonate with him and his values. And that's the difference that we're seeing now. Um, I think with the people coming into the workforce now and all of the interesting job things we're seeing, right? There's like quiet quitting, quiet hiring, quiet this, like whatever. And 
I would just really focus on like, what do you see your company being in the future, right? Are you trying to be, you know, the old guard in history or are you trying to be the next, you know, this? Are you trying to be the next Steve Jobs? Are you trying to be the next Google? Whatever it is, you know, how are you trying to get to be that next big fintech company? And that happens with the right talent around you. And the right talent isn't going to come unless they align with your values and those are put out there incredibly transparently. So I like this comment. Sorry, someone just... Okay, Mabel just said, competitive salary and reputation is no longer enough. As someone who's a part of Gen Z, I always look at a company's mission values. If they don't align with mine, I won't be motivated enough to work there. Making a difference and changing the world should be a top priority for all. So true. It's crazy what a hard sell that is. But it's so true. It shouldn't be. Yeah. But, no. well, and the other thing I was going to say about that, and I think the mission alignment thing is a really interesting question because the other thing I've noted in fintech is, and this is something I would advise people to do if they were looking for like their next fintech job or looking to join a fintech company and trying to evaluate this, right? I'm, I'm curious for your perspective on how this has come up in the research you've done and the companies you've talked to. But I think another thing that you see problematic in this respect is you have a great mission and then your business model isn't aligned with that mission, right? And so, you know, there are, I think, lots of examples. Like, for example, the companies in the space that do um, product comparisons and reviews of financial products, right? So um, list of best credit cards, list of best checking accounts. The mission is great, right? The mission is we want to help consumers make smarter financial choices so that they can get ahead, basically. Needed really laudable mission, something I think is absolutely uh, super beneficial for the larger ecosystem. If you've looked at a lot of those lists, the list of best credit cards, list of best checking accounts, it's pretty easy to tell that like they're not actually the objectively best products because the business model for a lot of these companies is we get paid to promote these products, right? And so our list right. is populated by people who pay to be on the list. And I know... They, they try to walk a line where they say, oh, like our reviews are editorially independent and, you know, so on and so forth. But you can almost feel when you look at these companies, the mission. And I think there are a lot of people who work at these companies who are really like deeply committed to this mission, including the founders, who are just getting like dragged backwards as if like there's a weight behind them. Mm. Weight is their business model, right? And it's dragging them away from their mission. And you know, this is not unique to fintech or financial services, but I don't know, I guess I'm curious for your perspective, like the companies that you talk to, are they thoughtful about that component of it? Like everyone says we have a good mission. A lot of people start with a good mission, but yeah. how do you stick with a good mission and make sure you don't get pulled off track? I think it's, it probably, you know, lies in just being incredibly thoughtful in the type of investors that you have, right? At your cap table, you know, who is, who, what VCs are backing you that are they going to be the kind that give you that type of pressure, you know? And, and that's something I learned a lot actually from Mary Ellen Iskaterian, who's the president of Women's World Banking. And I did a panel um, session with her at Money 2020 last year. And she was saying how, you know, and, and Women's World Banking is an active investor in fintech companies. And she was saying how, you know, time, and she's been doing this long time, long, long time. I've been seeing, she sees time and time and again, a fintech company, like you're right, that is so mission driven. And then they get VC backed. And then the economy goes sideways. And then things happen. And then all of a sudden, it's, I have to be profitable no matter what, no matter what I do to my people, I have to be profitable or else the mindset, right? Is like, well, there is no business and then there is no people and then I can't pay them a salary and then I can't. And I understand, like, I can only imagine that feeling, right? I mean, I'm not the founder of a fintech. I'm a founder of a media brand, but I know, like, I get it. I understand, you know, my want to get vulnerable. My vulnerability is that when shit hits the fan, will people care about women in fintech? Like, will people care? Are people going to want to invest? In fintech is femme. Are people going to realize that like women are better leaders in crises, in downturns, in like and are capable of creating more profitability during these hard times? I think that's the truth of the matter. Like, will this mission hold when? But you have to find the people around you that will uphold that, and that's really like the overall I think takeaway that I've learned from the people I've interviewed at the, for the report is just that. And if it's not the investor, which it really should be the people like writing the check for your company to be to even move forward, then at the very least, it has to be like your, you know, your C-suite and the people that you work with directly. 
because they're the people that will have your back during it and to keep the mission alive. But it's something that's been a problem in the industry for apparently, according to Mary Allen Escatarian, a very long time that the mission just gets lost somewhere along the way. Yeah, no, that's I think that's a really, really good point. And thank you for sharing the feelings about fintech as femme specifically, because I think that's really powerful. And it is really challenging because I think particularly the last couple of years in fintech, it's been such a good time, right? Like we, we've had so much money, there are low interest rates, VC checks are easy to yeah. raise. Like, you know, money 2020 is really fun. Like there, there's a whole yeah. lot to this business that can feel more like a party than work. I mean, I sometimes, sometimes I'm not uh, completely honest with my wife about like, oh, I have to go to this conference and like, should be working. Oh. Day. And that's true. But there's also <laughs> like, oh, wow, look at this viewer. This is a cool thing. So there's definitely a part of that, I think, for everyone who works in this industry, particularly when it's been so hot. And like, there's just been a lot of like excitement. But to your point, like, these missions are built and sustained when things aren't like that, right? And when you have to make really tough choices about how we're going to grow our company and, you know, what we're going to say to the investors that we pitch for our next round when we intentionally decided to do this, even though we could have made more money if we did this. And how are we going to explain that? Like, those are hard decisions mm-hmm. that you only have to make when things are harder. And so I think that there is definitely an element of you kind of find out who you actually are and what you value during times like we're kind of going into now, not times that we've been in over the last couple of years. Right. And I think this last comment here, I think about this all the time and maybe it's something we can explore more just as like a community and ways that we can make this more, you know, tangible really is like, right, even social investors, even investors with the best, you know, intentions also want profitability as fast as possible. And it's, that's definitely an area I would love to explore just all of us more. And, you know, maybe we can get more, you know, fintech VCs into these conversations as well. I know a few that I think we would be fun to talk to because at the end of the day, we're not a not we're like not a nonprofit industry. I want us to make money. <laughs> I want well, us all to make as much money as possible. Talk about yeah. that a lot, right? In in the stuff that you cover with um like diversity and inclusion is this isn't a handout. This isn't charity. This isn't something you're going out of your way to do. This yeah. is a way to make more money. Right. And I think that that's such a important kind of core point to all of this is, you know, same thing with like B2C fintech. I'm not asking you to solve the underbanked or underserved uh, problem out of the goodness of your heart. I'm asking you to go make money, right? Just be smarter about it, right? Go attack problems where there is actually a good market. And I do think that we we get pulled off track a lot mm-hmm. with that. And so just sort of honing in on this idea that, you know, while this is a good thing to do, and this is a, you know, a mission-oriented business that we should all want to be in, it's also not incompatible with making money. So I think that's such an important point. Right, exactly. And oh my gosh, hi, Leslie. I'm just saying hello. It's, Leslie just popped in, but we actually spent the day, I was sharing a little bit about NASDAQ and some of the things I you know, learned, um, but she's with Step, which is a great example. Feel free to check them out of a FinTech company that's uh, kind of crushing the financial inclusion and also, you know, maintaining that that pathway to profitability. So maybe you can help uh, yeah. as the community kind of grows, you can help us learn more about that. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm so sorry I'm late, by the way. I meant to join earlier, but I had a conflicting call. But <laughs> yes, very excited. We um, we won the NASDAQ FinTech Trailblazer Award with Nicole and had an amazing day yesterday. But yeah, we're all about financial inclusion and kind of like democratizing wealth and helping people just get access to the financial tools that might help, you know, their future selves be just on a better on a better foot. And uh, you know, we we see it with our users. The uh, typical user that has been with Step for about six months, they have an average credit score of seven hundred and twenty-five, which is pretty good. Um, we just launched launched stock uh, investing. Um, with no and these are kids, mind you. These are teenagers that are building yeah. their credit score. Just by the way, not just. <laughs> Not just adults, teens. Yes. But talk yeah, about so like inclusivity for yeah. the most vulnerable, right? It's like kids. Exactly. Yeah. So when they opt into credit reporting, they're, you know, they're already set up for success, you know, for student loans, for, you know, car insurance, car leases, even sometimes their phone bills. Uh, they look at your credit score and, you know, they give you better rates on phone. So wild. wild. Happy to see that working. She froze a little for me, but I think she was about to say happy that she's making a difference. Yes. <laughs> okay. I think that's true too. Yes. yes. Um, Thank you, so, Leslie. Yeah, no, that was awesome. Um, and actually, it's a good segue, right? Because we have about nine minutes left. So we want to take some more questions from the audience. Um, Nicole, I think we had a couple of uh, 
questions that were submitted in advance. Do you mind if I ask you one while we give everyone a chance yes. to just add a few more in the chat? I'm just going to pick one somewhat randomly. Okay. So uh, just be prepared. Okay. Oh, so, I love this question. What unsexy areas of banking or financial services does fintech need to get into next? So like what's, a, what's an example of something that's kind of unsexy, but that like you always sort of wanted fintech to innovate on or sort of dive into more? Yeah, I mean, it could be as like simple as a lot of the, you know, automating when it comes to saving that we talked about. Even if I would love it, like if a fintech company was able to like automate my payroll, like my check for me into all of the buckets that I need, you know, my I'm going to Mumbai, you know, this year. How much money do I need to allocate for that? Put that from my paycheck right in there or my emergency fund. And there are, applications that do that. However, there's nothing that really does that like so holistically in the most easy and intuitive way. Like I'm still the one having to like crunch the numbers and like do the things and make it happen. But little things like that, I think that like saving is so not sexy uh, to the world. Investing is really sexy. But like I said, it's because we haven't gotten to the foundational issues and saving is one of them. Back to the Plaid report. Fintech users. Fintech users not just people, like fintech users, the number one thing they want from your app is how to build an emergency savings fund. Um, it's because you don't really write the some of the rules or whatever, like you're typically not supposed to really get into investing yet until you have that peace of mind. You know, that's what I would say is unsexy. It's peace of mind. You know, we want to give them all of the tools, all of the choices, like you want to invest here, you want to... And we, we need those choices. We absolutely need them. But um, what about just like, this is something Shivani Sorora taught us a lot, so I'm kind of taking it from her. But what about just peace of mind? Like peace of mind to like go about my life and feel in control. It's been a huge thing for me. I did not grow up with parents that like had the money playbook laid out for me. They did everything that they could, and I'm so thankful for that. But you know, I didn't get you know an education early on on this, so. No, I didn't realize the kind of peace of mind I needed really to be able to move forward in my life and grow in my career and do all the things until I became an adult and started working in fintech. That's so totally. peace of mind is not sexy, but it should be. I love it. That's a great one. Um, good soundbite for anyone else who's like writing down notes. That's a good one. Um, so uh, one <laughs> question that just came in, and I think this is a good one to, to noodle on for a second is, uh, what impact are emerging technologies like blockchain, artificial intelligence, and machine learning likely to have on fintech? So that's like a 10-hour answer, but we can <laughs> like, you know, 90 seconds. Really good question. Really, really good question. Um, you know, I mean, I think that like just picking on blockchain as an example, we went through this whole wave of sort of crypto blockchain. Everybody had like a project or an initiative or a thing they were working on. It was really like deeply into banking and fintech. Everyone was sort of like headed in that direction. Then all of the enthusiasm and money uh, got sucked out of that ecosystem. And now banks are dumping their blockchain projects. None of this makes sense. None of this is valuable. I think the answer is that there is some interesting use cases and sort of novel value to blockchain, to artificial intelligence, obviously machine learning. But what happens is we have these like boom and bust cycles where we don't, we get really like excited about it. And everybody's like, oh my God, we have to hire someone to run our blockchain initiative. Who can we hire? And let's go throw a big check at this person and bring them in from this other company and they'll help us do all this stuff. That almost never works, right? Like all of these emerging technologies, the reason they're emerging is we don't quite know what we're going to use them for yet, right? And we don't exactly know what the limits are of them. And the technologies themselves are getting better and they're sort of constantly evolving. And so if you want to work with any of these emerging technologies, there's a lot of value there, but I think patience and ability to sustain that patience across those boom and bust cycles is kind of the key to it. And like, I've joked on Twitter that like, now all the people who are in, uh, crypto uh, from an enthusiasm standpoint have all now gone into AI and machine learning and generative AI and chat GPT. Fine, you know, have fun there. That's a really interesting area. There are people who've been working in machine learning for decades, right? I mean, we machine learning is not a new field by any means. We've made some exciting advancements, mm-hmm. but like if you really want to get value out of that, be prepared to not be a tourist and to like stay there for a while and really get like interested in that. So I think I think that's probably my quick answer. But Nicole, any thoughts you want to add to that one? 
Mm, yeah, I, I agree. I think I like this comment from Susan um, just about how people just given the regulatory environment, I think it's like people are really in build mode now in crypto. My spicy take on everything that's happened really in like the blockchain space is that I don't wish bad on anybody ever. But I do think that we almost needed the refresh. Like we needed a, re- a redo. Um, <laughs> the narrative got way twisted even in just media and and who controlled the crypto uh, narrative as we saw i mean the one that did it is now kaput um <laughs> and i think we need the i'm so happy to see this comment from you season i'm so glad that exactly too much hype too many hula hoop competitions anyway too much miami we like miami i guess but anyway you know what i mean okay we, we, people we also like other places that aren't miami we, that's okay we, too. <laughs> i like all sorts of places that aren't miami anyway okay so sorry miami um so, but real talk, real talk, <laughs> real talk, real talk. We're safe space, safe space. Don't anyway. Correct. I think that I'm so excited at this comment at the idea of people, people, new new people, or people that maybe were on one path and decided to go on another in crypto to build something different, to build something new. I can't wait to see the next you know giant to take this over and to do it in a meaningful and helpful way. Blockchain, just like you know anything else, was designed to increase global financial inclusion, and that is it. Like that's period. Like that's the what it was created for. And the fact that we went so far away from that mission is exactly probably why it went down, down, down. Right? If we don't stick to what we're what the thing was built for to begin with, how is it supposed to win? That's really yes, well it is. Um, you know, oh, yeah. And it is working in certain geographies. Yeah. Like in more international places, it is right. Blockchain is giving and crypto is giving access to people in emerging markets that have never touched, you know, digital finance ever. So anyways, uh, that's right. We have um, like a minute left. Yeah, we have a minute left. Thank <laughs> you all so much for joining us. Nicole, do you want to wrap us up? Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. We have so many, by the way, we had so many other spicy questions in line that we want to get to, uh, you know, next time things like, will anything kill the credit card? Should government provide basic financial services in the US? You know, other things around paths to profitability. These are the type of questions that we are looking to ask and answer together. But as we close out, I just want to say thank you so much for everyone for being here. And of course, we're going to get together and do more real talk things like this. But this goes so far beyond just Zoom meetings. Um, we, if you're curious, please don't res- hesitate to reach out to us. We're going to follow up with an email shortly with, you know, some more info about the community that we're building, how to get involved, how to be a part of it. Some people here already are. Today's already in. And it's so excited to have the first handful of you a part of it. We have like discount codes right now to be a part of it. There's a link in the chat right now for to join Real Talk. And thank you. Thank you again. We're This is just yeah, the first. I and love we're going to keep it going. Yeah, this is great. Um, and thank you to Crow, our sponsor for this event. Um, as Nicole said, we'll be back with more of these. So if you have questions, things you want to talk about, and we hope to see you in our community as well. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too. Thanks for tuning in.